Charles Cooper, man on the street here. Shelly Shaw, woman sitting in a chair here. Mm. <laughs> okay, so Charles, I noticed that um, you named our podcast um, kind of an interesting name today. You put, how did I get to Texarkana? Yeah, and blended learning. I've never been to Texarkana. How did I get to Texarkana? <laughs> so it has to be your story. Well, it's it's a question I asked myself um, <laughs> 20-something years ago. My girlfriend at the time, Wendy, and I were headed to New Orleans, and I took I-20 instead of I-30. So I got an I-20. Now, this is before, in my defense, this is before Google Maps and all that sweet stuff. I got on I-20, I'm sorry, I-30, and started headed, heading um, east and just thought, hey, eventually I'm going to hit a state. <laughs> a different and, state. And then, and then I'll just go south and then, you know, we'll find our way to uh, New Orleans. Um, I seriously did not realize that I was on I-30. Going like northeast instead of like Going northeast to Texarkana. Now, Wendy had fallen asleep. So we got about halfway in between Dallas and Texarkana when I realized, hey, that's not exactly where I want to go. <laughs> so then I found, um, I think I had a map in my glove compartment and I pulled it out while she was asleep, looked on it and I saw that there was one road going south, like some sort of back hills, gravel road kind of thing going south. Um, to make a long story short, it took us two hours longer to get to New Orleans than we had planned. And so Wendy noticed that. And then <laughs> when she woke up and was like, when she woke up, why and, are we there yet? And I mean, to be honest, she woke up as I was heading south, headed south on that um, gravel road. She woke up and she was like, where are we? And I was like, oh, sweetheart, just go back to sleep. <laughs> I'll let you know when we get to uh, Bossier City. <laughs> so we're headed south, finally get on 20, head out to uh, uh, Louisiana. And when we arrived, when she's like, I thought we were supposed to be here at two o'clock. Why is it four or five o'clock or whatever it was? And I never told her. I just told her that there was like construction and traffic and stuff. <laughs> Not that I was headed towards New York instead of uh, New Orleans. Um, and so one of the big lessons I learned there was check your mile markers often. Uh, take a look at your data often before you get to your destination, because otherwise you may never get there. You might just have to spend the night in Texarkana. Oh, man. <laughs> now she knows if she listens to this podcast. So, um, I think that ties in really well, actually, now that you explained it to our topic today about blended learning. Because, you know, it's the same way in blended learning. We want to use that to personalize the learning for our students and yep. to keep checking in with them often. And if they're making a wrong turn, we want to be able to correct that before they get to... A completely different state or even a completely different country <laughs> <laughs> right right and so if we are talking about uh, you know in the 60s there was a lot of unrest well are you talking about the 1860s in the Civil War or the 1960s in the Civil Rights Movement there's a huge difference between the two and if you don't check in with your students some of your students are gonna be in the 1860s and the other chunk of your students are gonna be in the 1960s and that's going to show up on your final assessment, but you want to be aware of that before you get there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the pieces to blended learning. I mean, I think there's several different pieces that 
are kind of out there all over the internet. You know, they, the Christensen Institute and all kinds of different places has sort of said that there's four components to blended learning. I love when you name drop because you, <laughs> you make us sound really smart. <laughs> well, we have looked in a, a place or two on the internet. Oh yeah, we've been doing this for a few years. <laughs> um, so um, kind of the four big pillars of blended learning are um, giving students flexibility in pace, place, path, and time. But Charles, when we go into classrooms and teachers say they're giving them that ability to have flexibility in pace or place or path, sometimes that blended learning doesn't always look very good. Yeah, so we do a three-day blended learning academy uh, here at ESC Region 11. And a lot of times we'll have some people come in and say, I do blended, here are the things that I do, why isn't it working? Why isn't it giving me the results that I thought I was going to get? Um, and it's one of the possible reasons uh, is, is the topic, topic of the show today, and that's data. Um, if you're looking at the flexibility in place, pace, path, and time, you also have to understand that what glues all that stuff together is data. Your formative and summative assessments, your eye stations, your ed puzzles, that kind of stuff that we're going to, we're going to talk about a little bit in, in a second. If you're not paying attention to the data in your journey with your students, then that flexibility and place, pace, path, and time, really, it just falls apart. Yeah. And so, like, let me give you an example of just some general ways that we've seen this happen. You know, teachers will say, oh, I'm doing the flipped classroom model. And they'll give their students a video and they'll say, oh, I'm offering them flexibility in place. They can do it wherever they want, home, on the bus, wherever. Um, and I'm also giving them that flexibility in time. They have all the way up until tomorrow morning to, um, to watch this video. But then what happens is they come to class and then they all do the same thing. They all watch the same video, they all do the same thing, and then they're wondering why isn't you know this successful blended learning? Yeah, and for, for a lot of it, to, to mix analogies, since we're, we're uh, in an analogy mode today, you know, you, you tell these kids to jump into a pool and you don't let them know that you know one of the ends of the pool is gonna be deep and the other one's shallow, and you're wondering, hey, where did that group of kids go? And well, they're below the surface. They, they get overwhelmed by the content, and if you don't take this data and do something with it. And, and honestly, Shelly and I were talking earlier, you really want to put this in the student's hands. You don't want to be in charge of all 30 or all 150 of your students' day-to-day -day, uh, accumulation of data. You want them to have data folders, for example, where they keep track of their, their stuff. They become experts in their own data crunching. And then when you have those one-on-one -on -one meetings with them, which hopefully you do, then they can explain to you what the data says and you can walk them through that journey of just be becoming more self-aware students. Yeah, so let me give you a different example of, of taking that same classroom. Uh, we visited some teachers um, at a middle school in Birdville ISD and they were doing an awesome job. They have their students watching those flip videos and they put it into Edpuzzle and they embed questions in it. So every day when those kids come into class, those teachers already have a good picture of who understands it, who, who mostly gets it, who's really struggling, and who didn't do it at all. And yeah. sometimes that happens is some of the kids haven't done it at all. So at that point, they have a great jumping off point to differentiate for those students and really give those ones that are struggling um, that one-on-one -on -one time with the teacher that they need. 
And so um, just one simple thing by putting that video in Edpuzzle, it, it really bumps up the, um, the personalization of, of the learning that can take place. Yeah, and, and just real quick, uh, recently we went to uh, Courtney Tote's um, physics classroom at Byron Nelson High School in Northwest ISD. And there again, they're using Moodle, but she's using her um, quizzes, her online quizzes and our online tests to kick out feedback to the students. And then she personalizes the learning with, with uh, each of the students in their blended approach. And it works perfectly um, at the high school level, middle school level, uh, and, and of course at the elementary level. The data helps refine and helps bond those relationships with the, between the teacher and the student because the students appreciate that you're walking through the data with them to help them get great grades and really reach the potential that, that they're all capable of. Um, and they see you sort of as a partner in their learning, but they're really in charge of the data and they're in charge of that, that, you know, that final assessment as well. Yeah. And I guess what I'm wondering, or what I think people might be wondering is, is that just going to make me more robotic and checklisty if all I'm looking at is data all the time? Am I going to be walking around with a clipboard, like a robot going, check, you got this? No, it's, uh, a lot of times when we talk about data collection, we kind of get um, uh, goosebumps or we cringe a little bit. But really what you're doing is you're delving in, you're making your students thinking visible, you're delving into their minds, you're getting to understand what it is that they get and what they don't get. We like to call it Swiss cheese learning in our, in our um, blended learning academy training. Sometimes we don't see those holes in the student's understanding until they pop up in assessments. And if you only assess them with a couple quizzes and then that, that test at the end of the unit or lesson, then those holes aren't gonna be available, or I'm sorry, they're not gonna be uh, visible until the very end and you're doing an autopsy instead of a, a health checkup. Uh, and so looking at data brings you closer to your students because it shows to them that you care about their grade and you care about them. So what we think as we've gone through this, as you can see, is that there's not really just four components to blended learning. We really feel like there's five components. Yeah. We feel like pace, place, path, and time with the addition of data yeah. is, is really the five components that can make that successful in your classroom. Yeah, and so if you're gonna have a flexible approach, like like blended learning is definitely a flexible approach. It's a, it's a meta strategy, as you say, Shelly. Um, that flexibility can become overwhelming, so you need something a little more static, and that's that glue that binds that flexible stuff together is that data analysis that hopefully you put in the lap of the student so that you're not the one going home with 150 data folders that you're putting together for them. Um, and in that way, you're not going to end up in Texarkana. You're going to end up in, in uh, the place where you meant to be. So what we want to invite you to do for this episode is um, on the, if you're listening on the Anchor app, you can leave us a message um, to this podcast. And we would love to hear ways that you're using blended learning in your classroom. Um, and we would also love it if you would leave us questions. What are you still wondering about blended learning or what have you tried and um, maybe want some suggestions for um, to make it better or move it to the next level? And we would love to get that feedback from y'all out there in podcast land so that we can uh, use that in our next podcast. Yeah, so we're going to have a couple more episodes on blended learning and we would love to start the next few episodes with questions and comments from you guys. So having said that, we are done here. Charles Cooper, man on the street, out. And Shelly Shaw, woman in the chair, out. <laughs> <laughs>